As absolute studs like Gunnar Henderson, Adley Rutschman, and Grayson Rodriguez graduate into the big leagues, do the Orioles still hold that title as number one system in baseball? We'll figure it out as Arm Layton is back on this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast. You are Locked On Orioles, your daily Baltimore Orioles podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Orioles fans, today is Thursday, January 25th, 2024, and welcome back in to the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. As always, I'm your host, Connor Newcomb, and I, in a moment, will be joined once again by Arm Layton of Just Baseball to talk about the Orioles farm system. But first, this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast is brought to you by FanDuel. Make every moment more. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place a $5 bet. Just visit FanDuel.com slash locked on to get started today. So Arm Layton is back with us. He was just here on an episode earlier this week. He is here again to talk Orioles prospects. And Arm, welcome back into the show. Uh, I think our last time we waited about a year before you came back on the show. And, uh, you know, peek behind the curtain, as everyone can probably tell if you're watching on YouTube. We're recording these back to back. They're getting dropped on different days. But, uh, you know, just one more day and you're right back on the show. Yeah, it's it's perfect. I, I, hopefully we can keep uh, we can keep it going like this. It was perfect timing where it, when you reached out to talk Marlins, I was like, well, guess what? We're about to finish the Orioles top prospect list. So I'd love to talk about that. And uh, works out. So I'm, I'm, I'm pumped to have uh, I'm pumped to be on twice in uh in a week and twice in the same day and, and i appreciate it man so you all just dropped over at just baseball your top 15 orioles prospect list for uh preseason 2024 not just 15 players though a lot of the kind of honorable mentions and others considered uh written up about in that list as well and as usual at your guys site uh very very thorough throughout the orioles system and uh, we'll put a link in the show description here so you can go check that one out as well but this is the o system and Maybe we'll start with the big picture. Like you don't have to reveal your farm system rankings right now if you don't want to, but are the Orioles at least still at this point with Gunnar Henderson, number one prospect in baseball, graduated. Adley Rutschman, former number one prospect in baseball, graduated. Grayson Rodriguez, former number one pitching prospect in baseball, graduated. The O's still have the number one guy in Jackson Holiday. Are they still a top contender for the still having the number one farm system baseball, even though they've graduated guys. And if anyone noticed, they just won the most games in the American league at the big league level too. Uh, absolutely. I'll give it away. Yeah, absolutely. It also extends past, you know, the, the seven at the end of the 2023 season, there were seven top 100 prospects for us at just baseball from the Orioles system. But then you look just beyond that. There's several guys that are, you know, either right knocking on the door or just kind of in that, in that buffer zone that I, I like to refer to, because like I, I think you could make the case for 200 players to be top 100 prospects, to be honest, in the minor leagues. Some cases stronger than others, but there, every organization has a few more, you know, or a few different numbers of, I would say, guys in the buffer zone. But when it comes to the Orioles system, they have as many guys in the buffer zone as, as any as well. So that just kind of shows you the depth. And then even the guys that are outside of that, you know, top 15, top 20 range, you know, have a lot of upside and intrigue. And they're slowly, you know, have started to solidify the pitching a little bit more. Obviously, that's an area that is going to be a big part, you know, a big focus. But you know, I do like Chase McDermott. Seth Johnson coming back is really exciting. We'll probably get into that a little bit. Uh, to go get Povich in a trade and see where he's continued to blossom into. Like you, you, the, the one thing that you could kind of knock them on, they've already started to, to solidify that. And then there's some guys that 
don't get much shine like a trace bright or uh like an alex fam that i think have a lot of intrigue still too so they're starting to piece together the pitching side which is which is scary if that side comes along also Trace Bright not getting enough shine. Love what you did right there. Uh, so let's start with the number one prospect in baseball. It is Jackson Holiday, And we can talk on and on about how good he has been uh, and how good he will be. Everyone who listens to this show has heard me talk about that a whole lot. But I think context is really important for Orioles fans here. And I think the best way to put it into context, it's a lot easier to put Holiday into context than it is for any other team's number one prospect. Because the Orioles now for three straight years have had the number one prospect in baseball. They had Adley Rutschman. They had Gunnar Henderson and they had Jackson Holiday. Now, we have not seen any of these three guys reach their full potential yet because none of them have even played two full seasons in the big leagues. But when you look back on Adley as a prospect, especially when he was kind of knocking on the door of the big leagues, think, you know, this time two years ago. When you think about Gunnar Henderson as a prospect, you know, this time a year and a half ago or so when he was knocking on the door of the big leagues, where do you put Jackson Holiday in with those guys? Because he is number one compared to his peers right now. But where does he fit in with guys who were in that spot one and two years ago and are already having success at the big league level? Because Orioles fans, you know, number one prospect is somewhat subjective and, and it really depends on your environment of other prospects. But that's why future value is, is so important. And also Orioles fans can think, OK, are we getting another Gunnar Henderson talent? Like, is this how good we're going to be? Yeah, that's an excellent question. And, and I think that the unique aspect of this is that Jackson Holiday is far more advanced than than Gunnar Henderson was at, at that age. And and Gunnar Henderson didn't, you know, everyone was very excited about him and what it, what could be. And you know, what, what he started to do at the alternate training site really started to turn some heads. But it was a little bit of a process of you know continuing to fill out, get stronger, and then also have the, the hit tool come along, the approach come along. And, and then he turned into the monster that he is. I, I do think that Gunnar has just a different level of, of impact. And yes, Jackson just turned 20 and, and yes, he's going to grow into more strength. But in terms of, you know, when you mentioned that that was going to be a question, I went back and looked at what my Gunner Henderson write-up was when he was the number one prospect in baseball and in and, and the future value grade I had, I had on him. And it was, it was, it was a half notch above. And, and I think the big reason why is when you look at what Gunner's ceiling is, I think it's, you know, MVP candidate. And I think it could be that as, as soon as next year. And honestly, if you look at the betting odds, like the sports books and, and whatever algorithms, whatever they put into that, they seem to concur. And I think for good reason, you look at the batted ball data, you look at what this guy's capable of. It's pretty scary. Jackson, I think is the number one prospect in baseball one, because he's the number one pick two, because of the bloodlines and three, not even in that order, of course, because of the fact that he produced the way that he did and climbed up as a 19 year old, which is just something we haven't seen. That polish is, is unbelievable. Uh, you know, how quickly he's going to get up to the big leagues is unbelievable. And he's almost a unique case study of what happens when you raise your kid surrounded by unbelievable talents, uh, unbelievable major league talents. And you have a father that helps you, but, you know, isn't overbearing. Like, I think that's a really big part of it as well. I think Matt Holiday is like the perfect balance of, of being able to help his kids, you know, be the best that they can be without burning them out and, you know, being hard on them. And, and I think you can see that with the way that these kids now, Ethan, not far behind looking like he could be even better, which is terrifying. But, you know, it's, I, I feel like the ceiling is a little bit more capped. You'll get a lot of the underlying batted ball data. Some of the things that Gunner is able to do, I think are just a little bit more ridiculous. And I also think Gunner might have a little bit more, uh, defensive potential on the left side. Um, so I, I'd give him a slight edge, but at the end of the day, you know, who knows what it's going to look like in two years with Jackson holiday. Maybe he can you know grow into a little bit more of a, a physical specimen. 
Where do you uh, parse him out defensively? Do you think he's more pushed to second because of the existence of Gunnar Henderson and how good he can be at short and, and the fact that Jorge Mateo is still on this team and probably will be? Or do you think it's, you know, some of Jackson himself and some of Gunnar Henderson that will make him, he's probably going to play a lot of second base when he gets to the big this year just because of how the roster is built. But do you, how much of that is Jackson and how much do you think it'll just be the roster as he moves forward in his career? I think a little of both because what's interesting with Jackson is I think the bat and it's rarely it usually goes this way, but it doesn't usually go this way. But I feel like the bat has outpaced the glove and, and the glove is going to be good. I think it's it's one of those things where you can see the actions, you can see the athleticism, the arms good. like he's going to be fine and he could play a, a very solid shortstop. But then you look at what Connor's able to do and you're like, that guy could boss him into a really, really, really good shortstop. And he already has, you know looked like a, an absolute animal when they put him at third. And you look at DRS over the last couple of years. I mean, he, he's been absurd. I, I think Holiday could play a fine shortstop. But if you have a guy that I think can play a better shortstop and gunner, and for Holiday, the bat might be ready. The glove might still be a work in progress. If he can help you win now, stick him at second base. So I think it's a little bit of both. But ultimately, I, I think second base is is probably a great spot for him to settle in, uh, and, and especially when you compare it to, to what Gunner can do. So that leads us to what is Orioles fans dream infield on opening day of 2025, which is Jackson Holiday at second, Gunnar Henderson at shortstop, and Kobe Mayo at third. I think um, there is salivation over that, and I think they would even take Jordan Westberg at third, Kobe Mayo at first. They'd take that as well. But that gets us to the next two guys on your list of the Orioles system. Samuel Basayo, just the firecracker of a prospect right now that is shooting up the list. And listen, you know, the O's could have four straight number one prospects. Like, it is possible. And then Kobe Mayo at number three on your list. So I wanted to kind of group them together because we did when we just talked earlier this week about, you know, should they be available in trades? And I kind of gave my opinion on what the Orioles are doing, but I wanted to hear your opinion. Are those two good enough where they're not Jackson Holiday, at least not yet, but should the Orioles be holding them in a similar regard where neither of them will probably make a huge impact this season? They're more 2025 guys, but should the Orioles be putting like, untradeable untouchable label on those two guys in these trade talks this offseason yeah i i mean it, it's one of those things where you know you never know who's going to be available and if there's a top 10 pitcher in the game with years of control sure i'll, I'll hear it out right like we see a juan soto package get put together I, I probably would have said james wood at the time was was quote unquote untouchable although no one ever is in, in san diego but i i think when you look at what samuel basayo can be that's a guy that there's just no way i'm moving him and I, I love Kobe Mayo. It was. It takes so much for me to to push uh, somebody above him. Like I wanted to have Mayo at two so badly, and just the more I watch a Basayo, the more that I've just continued to dig in what he was able to do down the stretch, particularly those thirty-one games that he closed out the season. Where I mean, this was a teenager and a guy that was catching that is just going nuclear to the point of handling high A and then even a, a cup of coffee and double A hitting 351, 456, 85 with a 16% strikeout rate and 14% walk rate in 31 games between high A and double A as a teenager in what was really his first full season. And now we're, we're starting to see like catch and throw skills that have actually gotten better. I do think that he can get himself to be a little bit more um, mobile back there. And I do think that he's different than some of these other catching prospects who you really have some concerns about whether they can stick there. I do think he can blossom into a passable catcher. Obviously they've got somebody up at the big league level, but when we're talking about prospect value, it's always nice when, you know, he's able to at least play there and, and fill in and not be a liability. 
But in terms of what he can do offensively to be producing 112 mile per hour exit velocities at 18 years old. Uh, so one of the best out of zone contact rates I've seen, you know, for a young hitter in the minor leagues, which is important because he is aggressive. And if you're going to be aggressive, you better swing a lot in the zone, which he does. And you better make some, a fair amount of contact. But you also better make a fair amount of contact outside the zone to spoil tough pitches or still be able to make some impact on pitches that are outside of the zone when you make the quote unquote wrong swing decision. And there was it was remarkable how many times I watched Basayo, you know, take a swing at a ball that was a pitcher's pitch, maybe a ball or two off. And he not only hit it, hit it with authority and then other pitches just being able to spoil really good pitchers pitches. That's going to bode well as he continues to climb. I don't know if there's another system where two and three hit the ball as hard combined as Basayo and Mayo do in the Orioles system. It's just unreal. The bat to ball skills. It's unreal. The exit velocities. And like, I have gone on record. I do not care about, yes, Kobe Mayo's swing is a little funky. There's a slight hitch. It doesn't look mm -hmm. like other guys' swings. I don't really care. I, I truly no. do not care at all. And it's funny. He's a guy to one of my favorite people I've had on, on the call up podcast, one of my favorite interviews, because you can tell how, how thoughtful he is of a hitter. Right. If he thought if those moves were, were an issue, first of all, the Orioles, they've done a phenomenal job of being able to get the most out of guys. And, and, and Kobe faced his adversity in double A in 2022. He got up there and, you know, he was hurt. He talked a little bit about that, you know, just being a little bit banged up. But also, you know, I think there were some some issues with the swing. He smoothed that out. He worked with the Orioles, cleaned some things up and then went nuts. You know, the very next year at double A and then continued it up to up to triple A and, and did what we saw him do last year. The big part that really stands out to me is he hits the ball in the air consistently. And I feel like that that hitch that people see also is a big reason why he's able to get to his spot consistently. And I was able to create that loft that we see him go foul pole to foul pole and hit balls out, you know, with ease. So yeah, it doesn't always look the cleanest for certain guys, but when you look at where he's at, at, you know, at the point at which the pitcher's releasing and you look at where he gets at contact, I got no concerns and I don't think the Orioles do either. Yeah, they do not. Next up, we're going to get to the, Great Orioles prospect debate of our time in 2024. Hmm. Heston Kerstad versus Colton Kowser. We will get to it in just a moment. But first, this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast is brought to you by FanDuel. Only a few days away here from the Orioles hosting the Orioles hosting the yeah, I wish the Orioles were hosting the AFC <laughs> Championship game. It's the Ravens hosting the AFC Championship game against the Chiefs. You know, you got to take out Patrick Mahomes, you got to take out Taylor Swift to finally get Lamar Jackson to the Super Bowl. And there's still time to get on the action with FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Because right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets, guaranteed when you place a $5 bet. That's $150 in bonus bets, win or lose. The app is so easy to use, and there's so many different ways to bet, like live same-game parlays. You can find all your bets in the new Explore tab, and you can even make your own parlay in the Parlay Hub. And they've got even more than that. So visit FanDuel.com slash locked on and make your first bet a layup with FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. So we're here with Arm Layton of Just Baseball. We are talking the Orioles system. We've kind of parsed through the top three guys in the list. But of course, the great debate in the O system right now, you have one spot away from each other. And I'm sure there was a bait, debate internally for you as well. Colton Kowser and Heston Kerstad both got their first taste of the big leagues in 2023. Kerstad ended up on the playoff roster, didn't appear in a game. Kowser got an earlier chance, but did not look great, and then was sent back down to AAA, where he finished off the season. Neither guy really said, I am a lock for the opening day roster by what we saw last year. They still have something to prove to make the team 
out of spring training, but they are both still prospect eligible and they both still could certainly spend some time in Norfolk uh, early next season. But for you, when you were putting together this list, what was your decision, Kerstad versus Kowser, and what led you to rank one over the other? I mean, Kowser is a guy I've, I've always been a big fan of, even you know, going back to the draft and, and going back even in, into college. Like, it's just one of those players that it just felt like if he was playing in the SEC, I think a lot of people would have would have probably said he wasn't even an underslot candidate of where they got him. But yeah, then you also look at, at Kerstad and, and and what he's been able to do. And I think it's it's just really remarkable at, in terms of Kerstad's unique situation and and what he was able to do. Because my concerns with Kerstad really it's the the one thing with him is is just he's aggressive uh, and and. He gets a little bit expansive, specifically with breaking balls. Yeah, when I was watching a lot of his abs, specifically those those downward breaking, you know, curve balls, which you know, righties that have them, they're going to throw them a lot to lefties, especially guys that don't have changeups. That was where I could see that approach being a little bit aggressive. He's you know a thirty five percent chase rate guy. It, that could kind of rear its head a little bit, but he crushes sliders, catches up the velocity really, really well. He makes plenty of contact within the zone. And then you really start thinking about it and you're like, okay, if that's the one concern, how many breaking balls does this guy really see in relative to his peers? You people look at the age and they consider him a you know, 25 year old prospect, right? Or a guy that's going to be 25 at the start of the season. But he entered 2023 with only 65 professional games under his belt. And we know that the whole situation that he dealt with and, and what he was you know able to overcome, which is remarkable in itself. But I think it's important to also note he only played 16 games of his final collegiate season as well. So with with COVID, with with the, the myocarditis situation, this guy has not had the reps that really any other 25-year-old is going to have, 24-year-old in that case. So when you compare them as prospects, you know, I think Kerstad's bat's already a little bit safer. You could probably – you can definitely dream on more power with the way that he's able to get into it in games. Um, and then you look at the, the bat-to-ball skills. Kowser was a guy that I think coming out of the draft in his first year or two in pro ball or year and a half, I think he was ahead of, of Kerstad bat to ball wise, uh, even what from what we saw last year. But Kowser kind of took a step back in that regard. And, and we've seen him whiffing a little bit more. And I, I saw a guy that was trying to lift more, trying to get the ball in the air and, and translate above average raw power into above average game power. And as a result, we saw Kowser start to, to strike out a lot more. And when I look at Kerstad, it's a guy that I feel like is really comfortable with who he is as a hitter. Uh, already. And, and I think that's only going to build as he gains more reps and get, continues to get more ABs, you know, under his belt, whether that be in triple A or at the big league level, if he can just cut down on the chase a little bit, which I think he naturally will as he gets more reps, because again, it, it looks like he has a pretty good feel for the zone overall. He's just a guy that makes a lot of contact and it's hard to convince guys to hit 300 every single year, which by the way, he's a 305 career hitter in the minor leagues and you know was, was absolute machine in college. It's hard to convince those guys to swing less until they face adversity. I think even that short big league stint was a little bit of adversity for him to kind of realize how he needs to hone in on his approach a little bit more. And I think that's really going to be the difference. Even though Kowser can play center field, at the end of the day, these guys, it's going to be all about the bat, you know, for them to provide that that true, true value. And and I got a little bit more faith in, in Kerstad's bat, both from a floor and ceiling perspective now at this point. Yeah, the thing about Kowser too is he's always had very much the edge up on Kerstad in, in terms of the defense. And that is that has always been a huge thing for him. But and while he plays a good left and right field, he's got a really strong arm out there. And and playing left field is basically like a second center field at Camden Yards now mm-hmm. because the new wall and it's so vast out there. And it, it's important to have currently Austin Hayes out there. And one day it might be really important to have Colton Kowser out there who can play center field. But 
Cowser got his chance in center last year because, you know, Mullins and Aaron Hicks were injured at times and the Orioles did not want to play Ryan McKenna. And so Colton Cowser got some run out in center field and he made some great plays in Norfolk. He also made some weird mistakes in Norfolk and it kind of continued on to the big leagues. And it's something you talked about a little bit already where it's like for a lot of guys, the defense kind of settles in before the offense does at the big league level. And it just felt like, Maybe the offensive struggles were affecting the defense, but he did not look comfortable. Now, the O's were comfortable enough to put him in center field when they were, you know, contending for a division, but they were also comfortable enough to put Jorge Mateo in center field contending for a division. It tells you the spot they were in with Hicks and Mullins both out at the same time. I worry a little bit about that. And really, if he's unable to play center, his value does drop significantly not just because that's how it works for prospects but also because what's around him on this Orioles team and in this system then when you fall back into the droves of the cursed ads and potentially the mayos um, and some other guys who are more so the corner outfield types Kowser does go a step down I think that's what I'm a little worried about with him and also it feels like he's trying to become Kerstad where Kerstad's yep. kind of just himself. And that's kind of what you talked about. And listen, Colton Kowser might end up being a fantastic player at the big league level. And I have been the number one person of saying, I'm not going to say, you know, that, that stint in the big leagues didn't matter. He'll be fine. But I'm also never going to say that, you know, 40 plate appearances or whatever he ended up getting is going to define a guy's big league career, especially his first 40, 50 plate appearances at the big league level um, in a team that was, you know, right in the mix for a division. But I yeah. do worry a little bit about how much he's already changed and how I think different of a profile he has now than even he had two and a half years ago when he was drafted. I think it's an excellent point, you know, and again, I, I still think very highly of him and I think he can be a really good player, as you mentioned, but we're comparing him to another guy who could be a really good player. And we're saying, you know, who's more valuable with Kerstad too. the, the one other separating aspect is the one thing that I did was, I was encouraged by is, you know, Kowser went from you know, really brutal against, you know, Southpaws in 2022 to serviceable against Southpaws in, in 2023. But to see Kerstad and what he does left on left, I mean, he had, including his big league stint, had an 869 OPS left on left last year. And I think that's something that's going to continue to translate. And again, really, the only thing is cutting down on that chase. And if he starts walking more with, with that profile, that striking out 19% of the time last year across every level, that's really, really impressive when you're as aggressive as he is. He rarely misses you know, fastballs. And, and that was something that got better and better and better as the year went on. Um, it feels like a little bit of a tweener profile for Kowser because if he's not providing, even if he can pass by in center, if he's not providing value in center, then he goes to a corner. Now in a corner, you want to see him tap into more power because we saw that the bat to ball kind of take a little bit of a step back. And uh, now that's where you said he's trying to be that, that curse dad. That's the challenge because now he's trying to tap into more power. And now the thing that was naturally, you know, strength for him, bat to ball is starting to kind of hedge itself too. So now you're hedging a strength, trying to, you know, maximize something that I wouldn't say weakness, but was kind of in flux. And now I just feel like he's kind of caught in the middle. And I'm very fascinated to see how he comes out next year. But you, you factor all that in, and then you look at Kerstad kind of being more true to himself, kind of knowing who he is already. On top of the fact that he had like two years, like 800 days off uh, between his first professional game and his last collegiate game, and has barely played professional baseball compared to most players his age. I feel really good about where Kersad's going to be next year. 
and I can say all I want about the sample size, but it's hard to think about their each of their first stints and not think about the power that Kerstad displayed and the ability to go to the opposite field like he did um, and the big spots he was put in and was able to succeed in those big spots and Cowser not really being able to do it. I don't think it will have a long-term impact on either of those guys, that, that first stint, but it, it's hard to not think about it when you're kind of mm-hmm. thinking about their place with the Orioles, which I'll get to in many other episodes leading up to opening day for 2024. But we got a little more to get to with RM. That is, listen, we just talked about the top five guys in the system, but there's another reason why the O system is the top in baseball is that there is still depth as you go down the list. So we're going to go a little more rapid fire on these last few guys. Some of Aram's players outside the top five that he really likes in this Orioles system. That's coming up next. Arm Layton is with us from Just Baseball. He just put out on Tuesday the Orioles' top prospect list in their system over at Just Baseball. And we talked about the top five guys. You know, those are all five who are going to make the O's hope a huge impact in the next two years and are going to really help this team. And even the guys, you know, six, seven, Connor Norby and Joey Ortiz and others, you know, they, they could help the Orioles pretty soon if they need them to. But I did want to go through kind of the, the rest of this system. And you talked about it when we had you on earlier this week to talk Orioles Marlins trades about how big a fan you are of Joey Ortiz. We've kind of heard the the Ortiz spiel from you as well. But as you go down this system, let's talk pitching because you, you did mention a, a few pitchers in the top 15 of your list. You also had a, a good amount of arms and kind of those other notable players uh, that you did write-ups on. Right now, who is your favorite pitching prospect in this system? Because it's no secret, the Orioles hitters in the system are well above their pitchers in terms of the top guys and as a whole. But which guys in terms of the arms, because the O's are going to need to dip into some of those arms, have impressed you the most? Yeah, so in terms of like ranking and and, and value, future value, it's going to be Chase McDermott. I will say I, I have a soft spot for Seth Johnson. I'm extremely excited to see what he's going to do uh, this coming season as, as he's 100% healthy. We saw a little bit of it at the end of last year. I was just glad to see him on the mound. But uh, when you look at Seth Johnson, it's you know, 20 inches of induced vertical break, which, you know, creating that ride and then a really good slider that is going to make him a big league arm in, in some capacity. Uh, and I think a, a pretty darn good one. But when you look at what Chase McDermott can do, um, it, it's it's ridiculous. And what really was encouraging for me, it, the, the challenge for McDermott is the command, right? And, and that's going to be kind of what defines whether he's a starter or a reliever. And I think to get to AAA, dealing with the ABS system, which really affected some pitchers, you know, it, it, quite drastically with their command and actually having his lower, you know, I think the lowest walk rate that we'd seen from him in really any stretch. And uh, then also seeing him have more confidence across his entire arsenal. I mean, there's a chance that this guy's three plus pitches. And then he started playing around with a split grip that all of a sudden looked pretty good at points too. Uh, I think he's one of those guys. There's only about th- four or five guys in the major leagues every year that'll get away with a 10% walk rate. McDermott's got the stuff to be one of those guys. Uh, when you look at the the fastball whiff rates and, and what he gets there, the slider that he really, it's two pitches in one. He has a sweeper, you know, in the, in the low eighties. And then he has this harder, shorter cutter that really blew hitters up from time to time too. I couldn't separate them as two different pitch grades because track man would conflate them. And it was really hard to tell the difference sometimes because hitters looked uncomfortable too. I think they struggled to tell the difference sometimes um, with the pitches because he'd have like a middle ground between the two of them. But talking to some guys that faced him as well down the stretch of the season where he really went crazy, they said that was some of their most uncomfortable at-bats they've had in professional baseball, uh, let alone that season. And and you can really see it by the swings that he gets and just by some of the takes that hitters will have against him. And those those top three 
pitchers right now. I think this is a pretty much a consensus top three pitching prospects in the system right now are Arcade Povich and Chase McDermott and, and Seth Johnson. And all three guys are, are somewhat close to the big leagues at this point. If, if Johnson hadn't got Tommy John, he might be already in the big leagues. Mm-hmm. Uh, but basically the only reason the Orioles have him is because he was set to get Tommy John. That seemed to be the reason why the Rays were willing to deal, deal him in the Trey Mancini trade in 2022. But I do want to ask like one bigger picture question about the pitching and then we'll get to some like lower, you know, lower level names that you're excited about in the system. It's just, you know, the Orioles, Kyle Bradish has been an unbelievable success story for the Orioles pitching development. He looked like an ace. I've been on the Kyle Bradish train for three years. It's been my biggest W as a predicting prospects guy on the Lockdown Orioles podcast. It's been awesome to watch him pitch. Grayson Bro. Rodriguez, they, they figured out what was wrong with him in the first half and he came back and was awesome. He was the number two guy right behind Bradish down the stretch. And, you know, they've been able to major league development wise, like bring in some relievers on waivers, the, the Cena Perez's of the world, the Yenier Cano's of the world, obviously, you know, fixing Felix Bautista like they've done it. Now, this might be a little nitpicky what I'm about to say, but it's true. Mike Elias has yet to draft and develop a pitcher who has made any impact at all, really, at the big league level. He did not draft D.L. Hall. He did not draft Grayson Rodriguez. He did not draft Kyle Bradish. You know, he didn't, although Felix Bautista was in his system, technically did not draft him. He even started with the Marlins. Big miss for Miami there. I know that was 10 years ago, but uh, they let Felix Bautista walk. Um, <laughs> is that a worry at all? Like Jackson ba- Baumeister was, you know, the highest he's ever selected a pitcher. Uh, they tried to get Nolan McLean last year and just couldn't get him in for whatever reason that it was that he didn't sign with the Orioles. And even then, you know, he was a two-way player in college, but is there a worry at all? Because the O's have been so good at drafting hitters, and we know the pitching is behind the hitting, which is okay right now. And the top three guys I just mentioned were all acquired in trades, Povich and McDermott and Johnson. Is there any worry there? Because to sustain this long term, you have to be able to at least draft and develop some pitching, even though you can tell by the O's, their number one priority is not to draft the pitching, it's to acquire it. You still got to do some of it, though. Yeah, it's it's interesting because I feel like at least from from the the amateur to professional you know scouting side of things, not just the scouting professional to to go get a guy that you trade for. I feel like the amateur scouting on the pitching side has has been a little bit surprising. Like I wasn't even a big fan of, of McLean's honestly as as a pitcher alone, um, and some of the other guys that they've targeted. It's it's been interesting, but then when you look at the way they've been able to some, develop some guys, Dio Hall graduated based on our, our prospect threshold you, after 30 big league innings. We want to keep the list fresh. We'll graduate him, even though he's you know, te- technically still intact for some other outlets. Uh, I look at what he did down the stretch. It wasn't just the move to the bullpen. They adjusted his mechanics. His, his release point dropped by about 0.2 feet. Um, they made some tweaks to his delivery, and, and it translated, right? He, he looked a lot better. I really believe in the development side. I think that you know, we've seen some turnover. We've seen them you know, add some people that, that can really, I think, help get the most out of their arms. And I think you're seeing that in real time. I, I really believe in what they're doing from a development perspective. I'm still waiting to see a tangible change in the amateur scouting approach to you know the pitching side of things. So I am still I wouldn't say concerned because I'm very I like what they're doing with the development side. And you can develop all these kids are so talented now. Like you can draft some of these arms if you develop well, you, you, you'll still find some arms. But I, that the one question I still have is the amateur scouting approach to, to the pitching side. But I love what I'm seeing from the development side. 
and hopefully a Jackson Baumeister, a, a Kiefer Lord, you know, some of these other guys who they brought in from, from this year's draft might start to, to push that in the right direction. All right, Aram, let's finish up here with this, you know, give me a guy or two who's a little further down the lists in the system. Who's not a, he's not a Jackson holiday right now. Who's not a Kobe Mayo right now, or Samuel Basayo. He's not a guy that's, you know, maybe on the doorstep of the big leagues, but that you've been chomping at the bit to talk about since, you know, we kind of scheduled this episode that is the sitting right there with a lot of talent in this Orioles system. I think Braylon Tavares is the guy that's going to gonna really stand out this year. Um, outfielder, they, they gave him $1.7 million, which was the record at the time in 2022, for, for good reason. Uh, he was viewed as kind of a more polished guy than some of the others you know, at, at his age. And it wasn't the best first little cameo at the at, in the DSL. And then he made some adjustments. He put on some strength as well. At, at, and we saw him really show out at the complex. And the way that he looked down the stretch really impressed me. I, I like the swing a lot now where he's at. I, I think – there's a above average power to dream on there. There's an above average field to hit. He's one of the more advanced hitters at the lower levels, especially at the, in the complex league levels. I mean, chase rate below 20%. But I think Tavera's got the stuff to, to start to really break out this coming season. Between the approach, between the field to hit, between the ability to you know, tap into what I think is above average power already to the pull side with some hits and balls really, really hard. And he's got a really good feel for his body. He's got this big leg kick, but he, he repeats it well. It's really rhythmic. And he seems to just know who he is as a hitter. I'm excited for Tavera, and I think he's going to be kind of that that big breakout kind of name this year in this Orioles system that I think is going to make a lot of noise and be the, just the next exciting prospect that they have. And I think you might be the, the high man on Tavera, having him you know, up in that top 15 uh, in the Orioles system. So give me one more name. Somebody outside of the 15 could be in your you know players to watch part uh, of the write-up. Could be somebody you didn't even write up, but you, you had your eye on uh, in this system that's exciting here. I like Trace Bright, as I, as I mentioned earlier, um, and and I'm glad you asked this question so I can you know, elaborate a little bit more on it. Is uh, he's got a little bit in, in a different way, but a little bit of that the same thing that I like about Seth Johnson, right? He's got the fastball with the ride, and then tunneling off of that this this hammer of a curveball that just breaks straight down. For for Seth, it's more of a of a sweepier glider, but um, you know it's it's just the way that it tunnels out of his release point. Similar here, where you have Bright just getting tons of whiff on fastballs at the top of the zone, gets pretty good extension, gets on hitters pretty quickly. And then he just picked up some ugly swings uh, on just hammer type of breaking balls working straight down. And I look at some of the data on it. You look at some of the swings. You look at some of the starts that he had. He's a big dude, 6'4", 205, 210 pounds. Looks like he can you know, shoulder a, a pretty good workload and already starting to show a feel for a third pitch and has already mixed in a change up a little bit. That's the big question, the work in progress here, but that fastball curveball combination, especially just the fastball alone and the whiff that he can get there, it's going to make him a big league arm in some capacity age 23 season. If he can develop that slider as a third pitch or see that change up, make a leap. I think he's got a good chance to be a solid, you know, solid starting option in the back of a rotation, but I think they've got a big league arm here one way or another. And if he moves into the bullpen, that stuff ticks up. He could be a big whiff, you know, kind of option for them. Yeah, he could finally be that that first guy drafting and developing a pitcher. I know Justin Armbruster kind of in that group as well, where he's he's in AAA and kind of knocking on the door to, to be that first guy to break through there of the Mike Elias regime, and, and hopefully we'll see that in 2024. Arm, thank you so much for joining us once again. Where can everyone find you? Where can they find you specifically talking baseball, talking prospects, and uh, talking O's prospects? Because uh, this is the perfect time to do this, as we talked about, because it was all in your head, that list just coming out over at Just Baseball. Yeah, it was it was perfect. And I'm always glad to be able to get two, two episodes in with you. So uh, it was a lot of fun. Thanks for having me. And uh, we're, by the time this is out, people can can check out our even more in depth breakdown of kind of what went into each of the rankings on the call up podcast, 
uh, where you know, we'll talk about all these guys, but we've also interviewed several of them. You can go check out our interview with Kobe Mayo, Kate Povich, and um, some other Orioles prospects. And then again, at JustBaseball.com, always putting out these rankings, going to have a top 100 update coming out relatively soon. And then on the Just Baseball show where uh, we have Walker Bueller on every week and uh, we'll, we'll be going back to five episodes a week to you know, keep you up to date on everything going on in, in, in the Major League Baseball ranks. So our thanks to Arm Layton for pulling double duty this week. Two episodes with us. That will do it for the week unless the uh, the O's make a move. Hopefully, maybe they'll bring in a starting pitcher. If not, I'll be back with you next week. Until then, I'm Connor Newcomb, and this has been the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, everyone.